Well, good evening, everyone, and uh, welcome back to the Disciple Livecast, where we are on a mission to learn as much as we can from men and women across the globe as we seek to live out the great commission of Jesus to make disciples of all nations. And it really is great to have you with us this evening and uh, thrilled by the fact that I've also got my usual co-host with us. Hey. Simon Holly, how are you doing, my friend? Uh, great to be back with you, Steve. I was gutted to miss last week. So really good to be back on season two. Exciting. Season two, episode two. Yeah, it really is exciting. We're having a great time, guys. And we do hope that you guys are having a great time with us, too. And uh, the very nature of our search in that we are obviously looking for people from across the globe is that sometimes people are not on the same time zone as us. And so by necessity, what we've decided to do is rather than uh, not be able to run through those things is to get some people who uh, might well not be able to do it live, but that we can pre-record to hear some of their stories. So this evening, really really pleased by the fact that we're going to be hearing from a guy called Chris Galanos. And uh, Simon, I know that you kind of came across Chris a little while ago now. Why don't you just tell people the kind of background of that and how it came about? Yeah, well, I was just during lockdown. I used my lockdown to just hunt around to see who's making disciples around the world, who's doing it, what's God doing, um, you know, just to learn as much as we could. And I stumbled on numbers of people in the in the East who are from Africa or um, Middle East or India and I thought this is great but who's actually doing this in the West and yeah. the more people I talked to um, uh, the more people were kind of talking the theory they were talking the you know they were excited about some of the theory but I was like well, who's actually doing it and this guy Chris Galanos his name kept coming up so um, someone put me in touch with him and he's very graciously agreed and he's been such a helpful um, person to connect with he's got a blog he's got a book he's I've interviewed him a couple of times for different things and done some coaching with him so yeah he's been super helpful and really excited to be able to you know we had a great time recording this interview with him and i'm sure everyone's going to be as inspired by him as we were as we are Absolutely. I, I think it's going to be a great evening, guys. And uh, just to say, though, we really do want you to interact with us. And so what we'll be doing is we'll have a couple of pause moments kind of in the middle and toward the end of our uh, kind of hearing from Chris as well. So keep your comments coming in. It's great that we've got a bunch of people who are saying hello already. So whether you're watching on YouTube, whether you're watching on Facebook Live, either on the King's Arms pages or indeed the Catalyst ones, do say hello. It's uh, it's always encouraging to know that people are tuning in and uh, getting, getting inspired and being stirred by it. And what we'll do is that if there are particular questions that you've got about some of the things that Chris has shared, then Simon and I will look to uh, kind of help you with some of those as we go as well. So Simon, should we get on and watch it or anything else you want to share? No, it's great. Only to say that I've had a lockdown haircut since I recorded this, so I'm pleased about that. <laughs> Mate, you're looking very, very sharp. Very sharp. And, uh, people probably wouldn't notice this, but I have indeed had a haircut too. But you know, Oh, no, it's, I, it's no, no, I didn't know. A little, little bit less significant. <laughs> can, I, can I get an amen from any bald men who are watching right now? <laughs> Listen, let's watch the interview, guys. I really hope you enjoy this, and we'll be back shortly to uh, pick up your comments and uh, connect with you guys as well. And we're uh, uh, chatting today with Chris Galanos. It's so good to have you here with us today, Chris. So um, why don't you uh, just introduce yourself a little bit, Chris. Not everyone will know you. Tell us a little bit about where you are, who you are, something about your family. It'd be great to get to know you a little bit. Sure. So my name is Chris Galanis. It's a Greek name. Most people see the last name and I have no idea how to say it. I don't <laughs> right. even think we say it right because uh, I haven't been to Greece before, so I have no idea how to say it. But uh, we, we are from, uh, my wife and I uh, are from Texas, born and raised in Texas. We've moved around Texas some. So I'm originally from a town called Lubbock, Texas. You can look it up on a map, but it's like in the west part of Texas, kind of by Amarillo. Maybe you've heard of that smaller town about 250,000 people and right now we're located in Dallas Texas which I think more people know uh, where that is and my wife was also raised around uh, in different parts of Texas as well so I'm married to my beautiful wife uh, Emily and we have two children uh, one is 14 believe it or not <laughs> her name is McKinley and then our other one is 11 and her name is Karis and so yeah, just happy to be on the call with you guys. Well, oh, that's great. Oh, it's so good to have you back. You've got power now because obviously we were hearing about Dallas and <laughs> so you're all back in the dark ages for a while, weren't you? But you're you're back. You have internet and power, which is great. I mean, you can see you know you can see the light here, so we've got some light in the room. So Come you guys, on. if you haven't ever lost power consistently for like a you know three or four days, you start waking up grateful every day that you have. Wow. <laughs> because it got really cold in our house. Uh, all I can say. So, oh, bless you. Well, so pleased to have you with us, Chris. And obviously, you'll know that we've kind of started this kind of live cast to 
engage people in conversation around how we can be disciples who make disciples. But uh, you've got so much I know that you can teach us and we can learn from you. But I wonder whether you could take us back. I think it's kind of 12 or 13 years, Chris, and paint the picture because I, I know from things that I've read and things that I've heard you share before about how you gathered with around about 10 people in your home thinking about planting a church and you know, share a little bit for us if you can about that kind of first 10 years of you kind of starting the church there in Texas. Sure, love to. So I graduated from seminary in 2006, and I'd gone to seminary just because I was told that if you want to be in ministry, you go to seminary. That was kind of the denomination we were okay. in. Yeah, um, yeah. Not everybody, you know, takes that path. But anyways, I'd gone to seminary, and assuming I would just become like a college pastor or a youth pastor, that's what I had done previously. And I took a class in seminary called church planting. And honest to goodness, when I first saw that class, it was an elective. I thought it was about botany. I thought it was about planting flowers. At <laughs> I was like, this okay. is going to be easy. All right. They're going to teach me about roses, go out in the front and, you know, you put lilies on the side or whatever. I'm church planting, you know, that surely that's what it is. Cause I'm from a town, you guys, it's not very big. There's not a lot of church plants. Nobody's really ever even heard of that. And so I take this class at seminary and just my mind is blown by the wow. fact that people are starting new churches. Hmm. Long story short, started feeling like the Lord was leading us to plant a church back in our hometown. We were in seminary in Dallas. Our hometown is in Lubbock. So we went back and we started, uh, Steve, like you said, with 12 people in our living room. And I remember that first meeting, God get, it had to have been God. He gave us faith to pray that we would see 10,000 people come to wow. know and follow Jesus in the next 10 years. Now, honestly, I don't think any of us believed it could happen. <laughs> but... <laughs> But we're there and we're excited because we're starting a new church. And so we're praying, Lord, would you let us see in this smaller yeah. town, you know, 10,000 people uh, come to know and follow Jesus. And it just kind of exploded from there. So it went from our home. We started having meetings once a month. And then at our first kind of grand opening, we had just over 300. At our wow. first year, we had 800. At our first year anniversary, we had 1,500. And it just grew into, you know, multiple thousands of uh, people. And by year eight, Glory to God. We give God the credit. By year eight, we had our 10,000th person indicate to us that they were committing their life to Christ. Wow. And uh, so it's quite a joy. We had the opportunity in those um, eight years to baptize over 6,000 people. So at our 10-year anniversary, two years later, I mean, the Lord did two years ahead of time <laughs> what we were praying for in 10 years. At our 10-year anniversary, we celebrated just over 13,000 people that had committed their lives to Christ or told us they had, and uh, just uh, around 6,700 people that had been baptized. That's incredible. Listen, just, 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 I know that there's so much that's even happened since and much that we want to drill into, but just give people a, a, the, the picture of what that looked like. So it was very much an attractional kind of church model, wasn't it? But you're seeing phenomenal growth. I mean, that's quite remarkable. Absolutely. So it would be in the vein of, if your listeners would know, Andy Stanley or Craig Rochelle, Life Church, North Point Church, uh, yes. very attractional in nature. I mean, we dress like, I preached like this. I didn't have a suit and tie on. I, was, I started the church, you guys, when I was 25. Most people are like, you can't call yourself the senior pastor because there's nothing senior about <laughs> you. Only 25, yeah. <laughs> Do you have your driver's license yet? You know, I mean, can you drive? Uh, so, yeah, so, so uh, we had, you know, very contemporary uh, music and we uh, preached about relevant, you know, topics uh, that folks were uh, drawn to listen to. And again, our, our, our desire was to connect with unchurched people in our city. There were already plenty of churches for church people. We wanted to connect with unchurched people. So our big mantra was no perfect people allowed. And we were just saying, come as you are. And yeah. so we found that a lot of people, you guys, that had never felt like they connected with a church, really connected with our church when they came. And again, I think one of the reasons for that, people often ask, you know, why do you think that was? I think one of the reasons for that is the most unchurched group of people in our area, and maybe uh, y'all's as well, is uh, 20s and 30s. And what we found is most senior pastors are like 60. <laughs> so I think the fact that our staff was relatively young helped us to draw a lot of young unchurched people. Yeah, so. that's great, Chris. And I think, you know, this is kind of interfacing where I started to connect with you is the next part of the story, because obviously we all know where this story goes, Chris. You, we've, we've, seen, we've seen the front of the magazines. We've been in the seminars. What happens next when you get to a church like that is you're identified as one of the fastest growing in the state. And then you start, you know, others look in and then you start different campuses and then you're in different cities. And, and we've seen the story and there's no criticism of that story. That's wonderful. But that's not where you went next. So tell us a little <laughs> bit about what happened next with you and what the Lord did next with you guys. 
Well, Simon, like you said, so by the end of the 10 years, we had 10 different campuses and some were in different cities. We yeah. were on television on Sunday mornings and then also on the internet and we were in the jail and then we were in surrounding communities. And you guys, when we, when we kind of made this transition, we weren't finding a lot of fault in what was happening. I mean, we were, we, I don't disparage at all the first 10 years. I, the Lord did amazing things and we loved what was going on, but we always acknowledged that Jesus was our senior pastor. And so what Jesus did in the last 10 years, maybe he would do something different in the next 10 years. We didn't know. I mean, we were just trying to follow Jesus. And so, Simon, here was kind of the pivotal point. In year eight, before the 10-year anniversary, year eight, when we crossed that 10,000 mark, we started praying what I call a dangerous prayer. And I tell pastors, whatever you do, don't pray this prayer (laughs) (laughs) unless you're willing to do what Jesus says. But after year eight and 10,000 commitments to Christ, we said, Lord, this is your church. What do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? Like, Lord, not here's our vision. Let's do another 10,000 in 10 years. Would you bless it? No, no, no. It was, Lord, this is your church. What's your vision, Lord? Whatever your vision is, Mm. that's what we want to chase. And so it was that question, Simon, that led us on the journey of a lifetime as we just began to fast and pray and just say, Lord, speak to us, show us what your vision is. Well, around that time, if I could tell you a couple of influences that came into our lives that really helped develop this, uh, we're reading scriptures and, and God's just helping us view some of these passages like the Great Commission in the New Testament with a fresh lens. We're praying more than we ever had as a church. And I was reading a book that I had read in my missiology class in seminary. And it was called Church Planning Movements by David Garrison. Mm. Simon, I think you, maybe you've read it or y'all have heard yeah. about it. Yeah. And I'd read it before and I thought it was fine. <laughs> you know. But this time I was reading it just with that lens of God, what do you want us to do? And I ran across these two sentences that I'll read to you. And these sentences, I mean, I need to frame them and put them on a wall because they shook me to the core. And I feel like this was one of the influences God used to speak to us in that season. And the two sentences in the book, were these. Uh, David Garrison said, in the years that followed, Langston, who was a missionary, was joined by Calvin and Margaret Fox, two other missionaries. So these three missionaries yeah. getting together. And in the second sentence says, they got together and they planned what it would take to reach all of the Kui with the gospel. And I just stopped right there and I was like, come again? <laughs> they did what? So these crazy missionaries, they get together and they're planning, like making a plan to reach all of these people that God has sent them to reach, not just start a church, reach a few, to try to reach all of them. So I thought, I know what they did. The reason they were planning to reach all of them is because there was only a hundred of them. <laughs> so that'd be so easy. That no, God, that makes sense. So I look up the Kui online. You guys, there's 1.6 million Kui. Wow. And these missionaries, Langston and Calvin and Margaret Fox got together and believed God for a plan to reach all of them. You guys, they shook me. I mean, that shook me. And I thought to myself, they never taught me this in seminary. <laughs> I've never heard of anything like this. I mean, I just heard you start a church you try to or get hired at, a, you know, an existing church, grow over time using traditional methods. I've never heard of people coming together and planning to reach a city, Yeah. planning to reach a whole people yeah. group. And wow. so through Simon, through that, and through some other mentors that came into our lives, God began to, uh, uh, lead us to pray in the, I'll kind of wrap up with this, lead us to pray in the next 10 years that we would see a million people come to know and follow Jesus. And we knew if God had really given us that vision, there was only one strategy that could take us there. Yeah, that's fascinating, Chris. And I think as I'll just to draw a couple of threads together, one is, I think I love your point on, you know, this is what God says to us. And I've heard you speak in other settings. Don't, you know, we're not doing this podcast so that people can copy what you've done. And you would always say to people, do not copy me, you know, only do what Jesus is telling you to do. But the other point of the transformation of the question from what can I do, which I think is a valid question. We often ask that, don't we? Because we all want to start with where we are. What can I do? But their question was, what's it going to take? And that that change of question for you is the game changer. I don't know if you want to comment on both of those things. Totally. So the first thing, Simon, I would say yes, is so often in the church world, a new book comes out, people read it, it sets them on fire, and they're like, I'm going to do what that guy's doing. (laughs) The problem with that, with my book or any book, you guys, the problem with that is it bypasses the prayer and fasting and seeking God we went through to hear from God about his vision for our church. Yes. What I mean? So there may be some churches he speaks to in the same way. There may be some churches he tells them to do the opposite. 
So that's why I'm not, I don't even promote really what we've done, our tactics. What I'm promoting are these biblical multiplication principles that can be applied in, uh, you know, any number of ways. Mm. And inside of your second point, I, I do think that what those missionaries were asking in that book, and I began to find that in the movement world, this is common, is they go to a people group like the Kui, 1.6 million, and they start asking, not what can I do? Because what they can do is not much. Well, I'm going to share the gospel with some of them. You know, they start going, hey, these people are going to die and perish without Christ. Wow. Mm -hmm. What must be done? What's it going to take to reach all of them? And then Simon and Steve, they make a plan to go, this is what it's going to take. So we don't really care what we can do. It's not much. Here's what it's going to take. Now, what must we do? And Simon, that and Steve, that really inspires you to go, hey, yeah. we can't just kind of, you know, have a him ha, you know, attitude about, oh, you know, we'll just do the best we can. We have a mission. We've got a plan to do what it's going to take for the sake of these people worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, whom we've fallen in love with. Yeah, it's so provoking. So tell, tell us, Chris, what, what happened? You know, what's the, what's the output in terms of what are you doing now? You don't have to go through all the details of, you know, the journey up to that point. But what are you doing now? What's, what, what revelation did you get in terms of how you're going to do to achieve the mission that God had put into your, into your hearts? Yeah, so I would say for sure, you guys, it starts with vision. It starts with wig take. What's it going to take? So if God had given us this vision to reach a million, then it kind of limits the number of things that you can do tactically to get there. <laughs> so what we did was we got a, our whiteboard in our conference room. I wrote at the top of it, a million in 10 years. And there was about 12 of us in the room in the leadership team. And I just said, how do you think we can get there? And we started just by thinking about, let's just keep doing what we've been doing. Took us guys 30 seconds to go, there's no way that's going to work. Not, not going to work. Okay. We started calculating the money, the time, the staff, the bill. I just thought there's nothing wrong with it. Yeah. But then we realized our model, you guys, was designed to do addition, not multiplication. Mm. So it was wholly unsuited for a vision that required multiplication. So we went down the board. And we basically realized we had kind of heard about DMM or CPM strategies around the world resulting in the multiplication of disciples and churches. So we got down the whiteboard and realized, because people often ask us, how did you get to DMM? Did you just see DMM and thought it was really cool? I think it is cool. But the way we got to DMM is it was our only option. Huh. What, what option do we, if God's given us a vision of a million, what option do we have besides the Great Commission and the multiplication of disciples and churches? We have no other option. So it was so easy, you guys, that day with the whiteboard in front of us to go, if God's given us this vision, we're doing a multiplication strategy. We're doing one of the CPM strategies. And it just so happened that we began with DMM because our coach was a, uh, you know, it was a DMM catalyst around the world. Yeah. So, yeah. So at the 10 year anniversary, two years later, I got up, we were at the, we were at a basketball coliseum because we had 10 campuses. We had never met together all in one room in, you know, 10 years, nine years. And so we thought, where, where can we fit? <laughs> well, we needed a coliseum. So we got Texas Tech, the university in our town, their old basketball coliseum. And we met in there and just celebrated the, you know, 13,000 in 10 years and celebrated the baptisms. And then I got up there and I said, guys, God's spoken to us. <laughs> and this is going to sound crazy, but uh, we think he wants us to pray for a million in the next 10 years. Wow. And people are cheering, but it kind of slows down and they're kind of going, huh? <laughs> <A million laughs> how on earth? Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Can we fit a million people in our buildings? <laughs> and then and then they probably it probably clicked with them. We don't even have a million people in our town. So what are they talking about? There's only 250,000 yep. people in the town. And so I got up and you guys, Simon, I don't know if I told you this. Victor was on the second row. Hmm. Victor. Victor John, yeah because he was kind of a part of Eber's story. Well, just as a slight de detour then, Chris, t t tell people who, who Victor is, because you know, he's been an inspirational character, but some people will be listening right now who, who, who don't know the influence that he's had in the, in the nations. Yeah, so Victor is a movement catalyst overseas, and he was a missions partner of the, of the church that I grew up in, so we also got connected to them. And um, he was a, and it started out off as kind of a legacy church pastor in this, among this unreached people group and just felt God leading him to leave his church and go all in with the Great Commission. And, uh, and so he did. And for the first uh, five years, they saw no churches planted 
for the first at least four years, they saw no churches planted. And then in the fifth year, they saw their first church planted among these previously unreached people. And over the last 20 years since then, uh, and we can't disclose actual numbers, but I can, act, I can just say uh, tens of millions of people have come to follow Jesus as a result wow. of this that's broken out. Wow. I mean, even hearing those things kind of start to make you just get that sense of sense of God, sense of excitement. Yeah. And one of the things that I was really keen to ask you today, Chris, is obviously, you know, you'd be hearing stories about men like that and about nations and, 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 and you know, tens of thousands and even millions of people getting saved. But what was it that made you think that, thing, you know, something that's happening in the East, perhaps, is, is that something that can happen in the West? And, and obviously it, it feels very different. So how did you go about kind of thinking through that question? Well, I had, I had a great mentor, and one thing he told me that was just so helpful to me, and I think will be helpful to your listeners, is this. Movements tend to break out in all the places where people say it could never happen there. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's interesting. so where Victor's from, the area he was in, you guys, was known as the graveyard of modern missions. Missionaries would go there and give up or go there and eventually go back home just because so little fruit was born in that area. And then so that was one of the areas where people are like, there's no way it could happen here, right? And then it explodes. Wow. They said the same thing about uh, parts of Africa. There's no way in Africa, it's more nominal Christian, kind of like the US, you know, or maybe um, parts of uh, the UK, very nominal Christian. And so they said, well, with that, but maybe the Hindu background people, it could work with, but with nominal Christian background folks in Africa, there's no way it could happen here, breaks out there. A legacy church pastor that had a reasonable sized church in 10 years saw a million people come to know and follow Jesus. Then they said, you guys, among the Muslims in the Middle East, no way. Muslims, no, not in the Middle East, you know, and then it breaks out there. So the, <laughs> the truth is we, we believe that God loves the whole world. Come on. Right. And, uh, and so we, we don't, uh, we think he loves America and the West too, and Australia and Europe and so on. And so we think that a lot of folks are saying about these places, well, because of this, this, and this, I just don't know if it could happen here. And I always tell them, keep saying that, keep saying that, because that means we're next. That means we're next mm. because it seems like God always tends to show up where everybody's like, well, he could never do it here. Yeah. So I'm encouraged, Steve, that because it's broken out in so many different places, among so many different backgrounds, people that are opposed to the gospel, people that are somewhat receptive to the gospel, people that are young, people that are old, people that are wealthy, not as wealthy. People, it's just, there's no excuse for us to say, you know, it couldn't take root here. And the good news that I share in the book is we're seeing it take root in the West in some places. Okay, I think that's a moment that we can press pause for a second and uh, get some reflections as well. And just before we do, Simon, it's great to say hello to some people. We've got some some faithful listeners now. We're thrilled to have. And so it's great to recognize some of the names. But just want to say a good evening for those from Wales. Graham, good to have you. Kind of Adam, really great to see you this evening. We've got um, people from, from Birmingham, from Scotland, from Guinea, from Surrey people from France and uh, we've got Helen and Ian and so on. Hey, guys, it's great to have you with us. And uh, if you are tuning in, you're watching live right now, pop a comment in the uh, kind of chat window just now. It's great to hear from you. If there's something particularly that stood out, then let us know that. If there's a question you've got about something that Chris has been sharing, then maybe we can help you with that. But so much, Simon, isn't there in that kind of first little section there? But what, what was it for you, my friend, that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, it's great, isn't it? I think um, I think the two things, one is this, uh, what's it going to take, a change of mindset. Yeah. And, and, you know, as I said in the video, I think what can we do is important, but what's it going to take changes your mindset because it really helps you to focus on, okay, are our current methods and ways of doing things going to get us where we need to go? Um, and, uh, yeah, I think that's just such a provoking question. And then the last, the last little bit on... You know, it couldn't happen here. You've heard that <laughs> where I've been spoken. Everyone's, everyone's like, it couldn't happen here. So I, I love that. It's just so provoking um, to realize that God loves to work where people say it can't be done. And yeah, and I know a lot of the places that he talked about people, and I've yeah. said in some of those places, it couldn't, it couldn't happen there. And God's now moving and seeing, I think there's the stat of, you know, I think back in 1990, they were tracking one rapidly multiplying uh, disciple-making movement, and now they're tracking nearly 1,400 across the world. And oh so it just shows you in the last 30 years, God is on the move, and he's looking to partner with people who have not got a it-can't-be-done attitude, but what's it going to take? And, you know, they've got a passion for their region and, and faith that he is on the move. So, yeah, I feel excited about it. How about you? What stood out to you? 
Oh, there, there, there's so much to be honest, and uh, I, I think particularly it's interesting that we've even got people commenting that people say that of their country here, and so you know, mm. Alan's commenting of France that you know some people say, yeah, it's you know it would never happen here, it's so difficult here, <clears throat> and you know the, the the truth is that he's he's caught something I think of God's faith, hasn't he? There's just this sense of kind of passion. This is what God's called us to, and therefore we're going to press in and see it. And I, I, even listening to someone like that, it kind of stirs me to think, yeah, and you really can do something, you know, in our town and in our nation as well and so you know primarily i feel called and passionate to, to this country and so excited to um you know see what god wants wants to do here and you know it gets me thinking all right so so maybe maybe where we are based here in bedford there's maybe 150,000 people you know here what's it going to take and that's that's a, a big question but what mm. i loved about what he did i don't know what you noticed but it's almost like it's almost like he saw that as a bit of a challenge to god and you know almost in a, in a really positive way kind of leaning in and thinking do you know what if, if, if these are the dry bones, then God's got something that he's, he's got this desire for the people. So that was really inspiring, wasn't it? Yeah. And he's just, he's just all in. That's what his, his passion for, you know, for lost people and it's, and, and not resting on his laurels. You know, they had a very successful model. Yeah. They were clearly doing something right in terms yeah. of seeing so many, they weren't just entertaining a few Christians. They were really seeing people saved and added to the church, yeah. but he just knew that it was there was more in the heart of God. And I think that's the question for all of us. Is it starts with vision. That's what he keeps yeah. saying to me is it starts with vision. What's the vision that God's given you? And then what's it going to take to achieve that vision and start that way around rather than, um, you know, just the, just the waiting and just hoping that you can do the best you can type mentality, which we can tend to all fall into. And, and yeah. as I said, it's doing the best you can is better than doing nothing. Absolutely. But I think this question flips it on its head. What's it actually going to take to see our, you know, yeah. see disciples and you know, the great commission is we're going to see disciples made of every nation. And so that includes, I believe that includes every generation as well, not just every nation, you know, there'll be some English, you know, British Christians from 200 years ago, but that's from today, you know, and I, I yes. think we've just got to keep, living with that sense of expectancy. Yeah, and no, I totally agree with that. I think it's interesting because, you know, finding out more about Chris, I've read his book now as well. I mean, it was something like five out of, uh, sorry, yeah, five out of something like 10 years through that period when they were listed as one of the fastest growing st churches in America. And yet to come to the end of that and think, Do you know, what? this is Jesus' church. We're going to follow him. We're going to be obedient to what he's calling us uniquely to. It's really mm. profound. And I, mm. I, I, I was just going to ask you, Simon, how, how good do you think we are at kind of praying those um, kind of radical prayers of obedience, you know, those dangerous prayers, as, as kind of Chris, Chris mentioned. How good do you think we are at doing that? I don't know. I'd, I'd say I blow hot and cold on it. I think, yeah. <laughs> you know, sometimes Probably great do, and other times not so great. So, yeah, I think it. I think it's the consistent, the consistency of saying, God, what, what is it going to take? You, you've got this nation for us to reach. You've got these nations for us to reach wherever we are. What's it going to take? And then starting to think, okay, will our current methods get us, get us there? No, what do we need to do? And, and some of that will come out in the, in the second half of the, yeah. of the video. But yeah, very so provoking. He's such a provoking really guy to be around. Well, listen, before we're going to start the next section of, of our video, but I'll just give a shout out to a few people. Badger, it's great to have you with us. And, uh, you know, he's saying, I, I believe he's a he. I've realized that Badger could be a lady, but um, uh, we've, we've never introduced ourselves formally, Badger. But, uh, you know, saying that they need to pray for faith to believe it can happen. I think we all do, my friend. And, uh, you know, Felicity's here from Birmingham. It's great to remember that we shouldn't be looking uh, to follow other, peop other people, um, but they're instead in terms of their methods, but asking what is God asking of us. That's so true. Um, mm. Pam's good to have you. Ian, great to have you. We've got my friend Rory Parkinson watching from Uganda as well. Shout out to you, Rory. Great to have you tuning in, my friend. All right, we're going to watch some of the rest and uh, keep your comments coming in, guys, and uh, we'll pick some of those up in a little while. Yes. So you, you, you've pitched this vision to your church of 13,000 people. You say, we really want to re you know, re reach a million. This is what God's saying to us. It's Jesus' church, which is a beautiful thing. What, what happens? What does church life look like for you now? So, so I got up the week after the 10 year anniversary and just said, you guys, so God's given us this new vision. This is the direction we're going to go. And I said, that means things are going to change. <laughs> and I know from being a pastor for a while that I don't care what kind of church you have, contemporary or more traditional, whatever, church people don't like change. <laughs> Most people don't like change. Certainly yeah. church people are known to not like change at all. <laughs> you know. And so we knew going into this, you guys, we had calculated this would cost us in attendance, huge. Okay. This would cost us in budget, huge. And we counted all those costs before we announced it at the 10-year anniversary because we just assumed, you guys, 
that if we say, hey, it's not just going to be about what's happening in here. It's going to be about mobilizing you to multiply disciples out there. We knew a lot of people would say, I'm coming for the good music and the message. I'm not trying to be like sent out to multiply disciples. You know, I mean, that's not for me. And so, but we took the posture of, instead of telling people you should do this or something, we just said, let the Lord speak to you. And if people wanted to join a different church, we knew there were a lot of great churches in our town. And I was friends with a lot of the pastors. So we would cheer them on and bless them and send them. Mm-hmm. We did kind of like with the person of peace principle, we were trying to find and work with those in whom God was already stirring their hearts, not chase down ones that might not be interested in taking this yeah. next journey with us. So the way it worked starting the week after the, um, and a 10 year anniversary with the announcement is we just started leveraging everything in our church for the multiplication of disciples and churches. Mm-hmm. So I went to every ministry leader, children's ministry, youth ministry, small groups at weekends, everything. And just said, Hey, I want you to ask the question. I'm, and I'm not going to tell you the answer. I want the Holy spirit to tell you, but I want you to ask the question, Lord, how do you want me to leverage my ministry area to accomplish this mission? Mm-hmm. And then I said to the leaders, I'm going to give you some permission to, take some risks and, you know, exhibit some faith. And so you guys in different ministry areas, people had different ideas. Let's try this and we can do a training here and we can start doing like in children's ministry, for example, they went from this, you know, big time, you know, American curriculum that we use to discovery Bible studies with children, you know, just, just different things that we thought would leverage the elephant church, the big church while we had it, we didn't know how long we'd have an elephant church, but would leverage the elephant church for the sake of movement, for the sake of multiplication. So over the next probably two to three years, that's what we were doing. And in that process, a lot of people were leaving. And, and a lot of people, as they left, you guys were cheering us on. They, nobody, I don't know that anybody thought we were doing anything wrong. <laughs> they were just thinking, I don't want to do that. <laughs> you know, I want to do what we were doing before. Mm-hmm. So people just kind of, you know, we, we go on to other places. Hey, you know, you guys go way to go, but we're going to um, go on here. And so we got to a point, multi, you know, number of years in where we started talking as a team about, hey, what if we focused all of our energy now on building a network of churches rather than just hosting weekend services, services at the Elephant Church? And so we transitioned about three years from that date into a network of churches that meets maybe every six weeks, but not every week. That's great. And Chris, one of the things that I love about what you've done is helping people um, to who's starting from wherever to, to start to engage with the lost people around them and start yeah. to make disciples and start to become a multipliable disciple and a multiplying disciple. And I think um, uh, you've just learned a lot about that, haven't you? Because there's a lot of people who are are willing and, and want this you know they've been reading the scriptures for years but they've honestly got no they've not been discipled in it they've not seen anyone else do it so you you've learned quite a bit about how you help people to do that tell us a little bit about that how do you how if someone's listening they're like i want to i want to become a multiplying disciple i realize i'm not multiplying right now how, how where do they start what what's the kind of starting point you use with people yeah great question so i would say you know i'm talking about you know, how we had people going on to other churches, but we had some people that were thinking this was a total dream come true, right? Mm -hmm. Simon, the people you're talking, they've been reading the scriptures and kind of going, is what I'm seeing every week line up with the scriptures or should we be out there more? And so when we came with this vision, they were like, I'm in, in. count me in. So Simon, you're talking about folks like that, even that would just be like, man, I, I've been, I've been a part of a church. I'm not discontent with my church, but I just am going, isn't there more than this? Like, are we supposed to be doing something? Or are we just sitting here? You know what I mean? And to those people, I say this, uh, first of all, let the new Testament, especially the scriptures as a whole, and especially the new Testament, the book of Acts, let it set you on fire again and let it make you radical. Because what we call radical was probably pretty normal in the New Testament. <laughs> it's just normal Christianity, you know, going out and sharing with people and Acts 4, you know, they couldn't stop speaking about what they'd seen and heard. I would tell them, as you, even if you're a part of a church and maybe they're not all in on this, let the scriptures set you on fire and give you life and know that whether your church is all in or not, you can be a disciple maker right? And you can be even, I would say, a church planner. And what I mean by that, so as not to confuse you, is I don't mean starting necessarily Simon's church. I mean, if you make disciples and they come to Jesus, often smaller churches can be formed. And so indirectly, we can be church planners just by making disciples. So I tell ordinary believers, maybe that aren't on a church staff, to, hey, 
even if you feel like your environment is somewhat lukewarm, let the Lord set you on fire through his word and do whatever he tells you Hmm. and know that you can do that on your own. Your whole church doesn't have to buy in for you to be a part of this. And then I would say, so let the scripture set you on fire and find some friends. Chances are you're not the only one that God is speaking to in a new way through his word. Find some folks that are feeling like you're feeling and start getting together and praying. And I'm not saying getting together and, hey, Jesus, thank you for this food. Why don't you all spend some nights in prayer like Jesus? Why don't you get up early and pray for a few hours together? Why don't you start praying and saying, God, I believe that there's lost people all around yeah. us that the churches aren't reaching. Show us where to go mm. and go out to those people in boldness with your little team and begin to share with people. And they can go through a training, Simon and Steve, if you all offering a training on how to make disciples that multiply and they can look for what you'll teach them about called persons of peace and start groups and so on. And I just think a lot of movements, you guys, have been started not always by churches getting on board, but by radicals being sent out from churches to go and reach the people that churches will never reach. That's so good. Chris. Awesome. How can you give us some practical examples of how different in terms of entering the harvest, getting out into the harvest, how does that look different now in your community than it did before? What sort of things that people do can just spark people with some ideas of, I think some people are just like, okay, well, I don't, I don't know where to start. What can you spark? Can you, obviously they've got to hear from God. You've made that point, but, but yeah. seed them with some ideas maybe of the sorts of things that you guys get up to that help you enter the harvest in a way that you weren't doing before. Well, and I would say it's far easier than people think, because definitely we can make this more complicated. But what we were doing before, uh, Simon and Steve, and this may be similar to your context, is we were encouraging people, bring your friends to church. Yeah. Okay. So there really was no going out. <laughs> I mean, and in a sense, you're kind of out during the week. But then the goal is bring your friends to church and Simon or Chris or Steve or whoever will share the gospel and your friends will hear it and they can bring their friends to church. I, I would just say that's going to reach very few people in this increasingly secularized society. So Jesus said, go. That was one of the things that impacted us the most about the Great Commission. We knew it was always there, but guys, our strategy was kind of build it and they will come. You know, Build it and they will come. And if they don't come, hey, not much we can do for you. Basically asking lost people to be missionaries to us. Jesus was telling us, you're the, you go, <laughs> why are you expecting them to go? You go instead of expecting them to come. So Simon, I think that the first thing people can start doing, that's just so simple is go out from, the, from the church and make friends with lost people. That's where it's, that's, that means it's the easiest thing in the world. It seems complicated. But that's where it starts. Don't just expect them to come to your church and go, well, I'm giving up on them because they didn't come. Go yeah. out and start to befriend lost people. Go out into, um, we found the, the difficult neighborhoods in your town often are more receptive. Go out into the difficult neighborhoods and start serving people. Mm-hmm. figuring out what they need and just love yes. them and serve them and pray for them. And you'll see walls come down and easy opportunities to share with people, start new groups. You'll find what we call persons of peace, which are these people that are just so open that not only do they receive you, but they open up a network to begin receiving this good news and they begin sharing it with other people as well. We often call it like kind of the, the fourth soil people. Most of the listeners will be familiar with those people that Jesus said, when they hear the word, they receive it, they, they accept it, yes. and they reap a harvest 30, 60, even 100, 100 times. times. There's multiplication again, right? Yes. 100 yes. times what's sown. We're out looking for those people in your town, whoever's listening, wherever you're at, in your town, chances are God has prepared for you to find some fourth soil people. Mm. And when you find them, they'll reap a huge harvest. If you can find them and disciple them and their family, they can go do that for other people too. So I think we complicate. I think the key is get out among the lost, pray and ask the Lord where to go. And when you get there, start serving people. You'll see walls come down. You'll see people open up and you'll begin to disciple whole families. Yeah, that's wonderful, Chris. Did, did, did you feel like you had a praying church at the time or has that been a journey for you as well in terms of people? You know, you, you've mentioned several occasions that, you know, it, it's, it's leaning into God. It's making sure that prayer is right at the center. But how would you help people to kind of go on that journey of, of praying, as it were, in line with what the Spirit's speaking to them? Yeah. So, Steve, I would say our reputation in our town before all of this was that we were a praying church. And the reason we had that reputation is we had something most churches gave up on a long time ago, and that's a weekly prayer meeting. (laughs) Most churches gave up on that a long time ago because nobody would come to it. You know what I mean? (laughs) We said it's the most important meeting in our church. And so people knew about it. So they thought, oh, they're a praying church. Well, once we started this journey, 
we started hearing, like I was sharing with you guys before we jumped on, uh, we started hearing about new believers in Africa and these movements being trained to pray two hours a day. We heard about new believers. We're the church staff. We heard about new believers being told, hey, now that you're a new Christian, hey, this is exciting. Two to four times a month, you can pray all through the night. <laughs> we're going, wow. new believers. I mean, we, it's provoking, isn't it? We, yeah. yeah, We've been believers for a long time. We haven't done some of this. And so I think, Steve, yes, that provoked us to think, Maybe we're a praying church compared to other American churches, but are we a praying church compared to the book of Acts well, or what our brothers and sisters in Christ are doing around the world? Probably not. Okay. And so we went from one prayer meeting a week with our staff to a prayer meeting five days a week, and we started praying through the night every Sunday night. We thought if new believers are taught to pray through the night once to twice a month, our church staff should be doing it four times a month. Right. So. And we're not like all the way through the night, but like four or five hours, you know, we would meet on Sunday nights from like nine and stop at two or something like that. But we just, it increased our prayer lives because we were inspired by what we saw in scripture. Yes. And we were inspired by what these believers were doing around the world that were seeing the things we wanted to see. We knew that we wouldn't see what we're wanting to see without the power of God, the Holy Spirit filling us and showing us what to do. We had to hear from God. So we knew we had to get down on our knees to pray. Amazing. And, and, and can, I, can I lean in then in particular to, to how you've been speaking about multiplication? Because I'm really interested, particularly in disciple making, you know, how you, it seems, have grasped something of what it means to help a new disciple make, make disciples and that multiplication to begin. And I'd love for your, you to kind of speak into that and, you know, share with us lessons that you've learned in, in how we can make disciples who go on to make disciples. Yeah, I think the key is you start with that in the DNA. That's the DNA. The DNA in, in a discovery Bible study promotes that DNA by from the beginning, even before they come to Christ, they're supposed to share what they've learned with somebody else. Yeah. Okay. The, the goal really of traditional discipleship is, you know, you learn and then you come back to learn more and you maybe bring a friend with you. That's additive. You know, that's, that's addition. Multiplication. And, and this is why I think a lot of pastors struggle with multiplication. Here's why. Addition brings people to you as the leader. Multiplication sends people away. Hmm. Addition brings people to you, to your church, to under your a leadership, you know, where you yes. feel comfortable because you have some semblance of control. <laughs> you know what I mean? Huh. Multiplication says, you go get them. You can do this too, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And it starts multiplying away from you. We're like a victor, for example, and all, all the many uh, millions of people they've impacted. I would say most of them may not know his name. Hmm. Well. Wow it moved away from him because it was multiplication. So I would just say, Steve, we found that, first of all, we knew we had to have multiplication to reach the million. And the tools that we were given to promote multiplication from the beginning were ones where even before somebody comes to Christ, we're encouraging them from day one, share, 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 share. And not only that, we even encourage these unbelievers that are meeting together to read God's word to read, obey it, what God tells them, share it. And a fourth thing, which is super surprising that you'd ask this of an unbeliever, but we have it in the DNA from the beginning so that they still have it when they become Christians. The fourth thing, read, obey, share, and consider starting new groups with those that you're sharing with that respond. So we've seen you guys, this is going to blow the minds of some of the people listening. (laughs) We've seen groups of lost people reading God's word so powerfully impacted by it that some of the people in that group go start new groups of lost people (laughs) that are reading the word. And some of the lost people in that group that still haven't come to Jesus, but are just being kind of getting hungry, start new groups so so that it's kind of like, and that scares pastors to death, (laughs) but I kind of think of it like this, especially because of the Protestant Reformation. We wanted the Bible in a language people could understand so they could read it for themselves. Mm -hmm. So really we should have no objection to unbelievers reading the Bible. (laughs) That's what we fought for. I mean, we want them to be able to have a Bible. That doesn't mean they won't need some help along the way and so on, but there is sometimes an objection to so you let unbelievers read the Bible? Well, that's what the, that's what getting it in our language. That's why Tyndale would help it, you know, put his life on the line getting it in English. I mean, but so that we could read it and be impacted by it. And what I think pastors don't sometimes understand is lost people can be impacted by reading God's word, mm-hmm. even without them preaching to them. <laughs> you know what I mean? And so, anyways, so because they're coming around God's word, if it impacts them, they start a new group with people. Yes. So right from the beginning. 
even before they pledge their allegiance to Jesus and come to Christ, they start multiplying. So good, Chris. And can you just share some stories of what's encouraging you? You know, that some uh, some you know, some of the stories of what God's doing. I think that all everyone loves to hear the stories and be provoked by those. Have you got any stories you can share with us of what He's doing? Sure. One thing I would encourage uh, the folks with before I share a specific story is just this trend in movements overseas. And that's that a team of two to three can reach a hundred thousand. Mm. You might have to rewind that and think about that. <laughs> so uh, a team of what they're seeing around the world is that two, two to three people from a church get together, that band of brothers and sisters that I was describing, the radicals, mm. a team of two to three armed with a multiplication strategy yes. has proven, this is not hypothetical, has proven around the world to impact hundreds of thousands or more. So I could tell you even some stories overseas, one, one, one brief one, and I'll tell you one from our experience. One brief one overseas is that a team of three, uh, a husband and a wife and a single lady, went to this place that's very unreached. With a multi they didn't start with a multiplication strategy, but they ended up with a multiplication strategy. And within about eight years of the team of three using a multiplication strategy, they saw over 70,000 churches planted in an area where the previous, I think it's about the previous 10 years, they could count on one hand the number of disciples they had made trying to do wow. addition. Mm -hmm. So just that's the power of multiplication. So something very um, specific maybe in our context. One, one thing I would tell folks, and, and then I can share another story if you guys, if you guys want, but this, one reason I like sharing this story is because it indicates a place that we already know that God is working. So if somebody really wants to get some momentum quickly, I'm going to tell you someplace, at least in America, and you guys will have to determine if this is true in the UK, has proven to be very a very fruitful harvest field, and it's the county jail. Huh. Usually when we think about the county jail, we think about jail ministry. I'm not saying that seeing the county jail <clears throat> is just jail ministry. I'm seeing the county jail as men and women who are eventually going to be released because they're in the jail, not prison. The, the American term is jail is kind of local, small crime. Prison okay. is like a long time. So the okay. county jail, they're usually from that area. And it's men and women, you guys, that have a lot of time on their hands because they're in trouble. And they're going to go back into the neighborhoods you're trying to reach. And right now they have time to pray. They have time to learn. They have time to, you know, get practice making disciples and planting churches. So, so the story is we got involved in our local jail. Um, again, not knowing what would happen there, but I really sense God leading us to get involved there. It's not usually where churches like ours are getting involved, or y'all. <laughs> it's just not, you're usually not thinking about that, but just thought, man, I think the Lord is at work here. In, in Matthew 25, what did he tell us? When, you know, when I'm in prison, you visit me. You know, he, he talks yes. about how if they were visiting those in prison, we, they visit Jesus. And, um, and so we thought, okay, he's revealing he's working in the jail. So anyways, we go in the jail. My dad was kind of the first one in. He goes into this pod, sees a guy that's kind of, um, uh, drawing on a sheet of paper and he's going, I don't you know, how am I going to, what am I going to do? And he goes up to this guy and he just sits down next to him. He says, Hey man, what's up? What are you drawing? <laughs> and he told him. And then my dad just, the spirit put it on his heart to ask this question. He said, um, would you consider yourself to be the spiritual leader of your family? Huh? Well, of course he's sitting in jail. So I mean, his answer was no, but I like to be. He said, I'll tell you what, I can tell you how to be the spiritual leader of your family. And I'll come back next week and tell you, but only if you bring 10 friends. He said, okay, I got to bring 10 friends. And then you'll teach me next week how to be the spiritual leader of my family. He said, I'll, I'll do it. He shows up next week. My dad does. He brings 10 into <laughs> the classroom because they're all feeling like they're not spiritual leaders of their family, you know, and that's kind of a felt need. So they come in and he starts talking to him about, you know, to be a spiritual leader, you need to hear from God and you need to follow him. And here's a process by which you can do it. You know, and he teaches them kind of discovery Bible study. It sets this group of guys on fire. Most of them come to Christ in a short period of time. They form a little first generation church in the jail and they all get baptized together. Okay. Wow, so beautiful. after this happens, they're fired up about starting new groups. So I'm saying in a period of a couple months, they start like 50 new discovery groups. Well, here's how they were starting them. They would start one and they would encourage them to read, obey, share, and start another one. So they would start one that would start one that would start one. That would, we were tracking one stream of groups in the jail that was five generations deep, okay. meaning my dad really? started with that initial group. They had started a group and that group had started a group and that five generations down, wow. most lost people. So, um, and so 
guys, the Lord was so powerfully at work in the jail. Many of our other teams that were working in other areas came to the jail to help my dad. <laughs> I mean, it's like the Lord is at work. And so we're all, we're all kind of coming in going, oh, what a harvest field. And you guys, we start to see it not just impacting people in the jail, but impacting people outside the jail in the neighborhoods we were trying to reach that we were struggling to reach. Wow. Because they have family there and they're going to get out and go there. And so we were actually, the jail was like a seminary. <laughs> and we were going in, training them, and they would get out and take this back to their homes in those neighborhoods we had initially been trying to reach. Yes. I, I know, Chris, that you've um, you've spoken before about how you've seen fruitfulness in, in, in a group that you call Pipsy, which includes the prison. Do you, do you just tell people, if people are watching right now and thinking, you know, wh where should I be leaning in to see fruitfulness or, or you know, where's God you know, speaking about? Just tell people what that yeah, Pipsy so, is. So the key absolutely is, and you see this in Matthew 10, Luke 10, is we are going to the places that Jesus plans to visit. He sent his disciples to the places he was going, the places he was working. So I always tell people, the way you know where you're supposed to be working is the Lord will tell you where he's prepared these fourth soil people. So we don't want to just go, hey, I'm going to go work down the block. Okay. Well, the Lord may not, honestly, the Lord may not be working on your block like he is over across town. You yeah, know, just maybe the Lord works in different ways and different time, you know. So we want to join. Jesus talked about joining his father where he was working. Yes, we want yes. to join God where he's working. So what we found, though, you guys, is a lot of the places as, as groups started praying, Lord, where are you working? Where are you working? We found that he would send us and show us that he was working in Pipsy areas. Now, that comes from Matthew 25 in the passage where, you know, Jesus talks about, you know, you um when you uh, gave drink to the thirsty, when you gave food to the hungry, when you were sick, uh, when they were, when uh, people were sick and you visited them, when they were in prison and, and uh, you know, and you, you took care of them, whatever. He said, when, when you've done this for others, you did it for me, basically. Yes. And, um, and then remember they asked him, well, when, when did we, you know, when did we ever do, when did we ever do this for you? And he said, well, when you've done it for others, you've done it for me. Yes. And so we started seeing in that passage, some theming. So we came up with an acronym. The P first P is poor. So the hungry, the thirsty, the naked is also in that passage. So the poor, it seems like Jesus said the gospel's good news to the poor. Yes. We found you guys, whether we like it or not, the gospel is better news often to the poor than to the rich. Mm. It just is. Try to go out and have spiritual conversations in a rich neighborhood and then go to a poor neighborhood. The poor are often more receptive. <laughs> I mean, yes. it's, just, yeah. it's just true. Jesus said that the rich are at a spiritual disadvantage. He said it's hard for rich people to get to heaven, right? I mean, it's, it, he made it clear the rich trust and they worship their money sometimes. So the first P is poor. The, the I is internationals. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Who are the strangers in our country? Well, it's people that don't, they're not from here. We found that a lot of internationals that live in our countries are very receptive. So Pipsy, P-I-P, -P, is prisoner. You know, I was in prison and you visited me. Yeah. Uh, Jesus mentions that category. And then S is sick. I was sick and you took care of me, yes. you know. And uh, so that we found among the poor, among internationals, among the prisoner, and among the sick, when we pray and say, Lord, where would you have us to go? He sends us to areas like that. And you guys, our experiences, they just respond. <laughs> I mean, there's just more people of peace there. And so that those are the places uh, that we've typically found ourselves. And then the why we just put it there to use it in a sentence. But a lot of people are saying it stands for youth because you <laughs> have been very responsive. You know, uh, kids tend to be stubborn. They can have that faith, you know, or not be stubborn like us can have the faith that causes them to take risks um, that we wouldn't because we're stubborn, you know. So we found that that Pipsy, the Matthew 25 areas Jesus is talking about, he's kind of revealed in Matthew 25. When you go to these places, you're doing it for me. Yes. So it's kind of like, Jesus, are you saying that's where you're working then? Because if we show up at the prison, we're showing up to work with you. Yeah. It seems like it to us in our experience. Yeah, that's great, Chris. That's so good. Well, we're nearly out of time, but just one last question, because I think right the way through when you're leading a more traditional church and obviously the argument will be that what you're doing now is more traditional but anyway let's not go there when you were leading <laughs> a more traditional church and right the way through to what you're doing now what stands out to me is just your heart for lost people yeah. um and i think that's something that i've been provoked on by you and by others in my journey recently I, i've always cared about lost people you know i was a lost person i was an atheist so i've always cared but i think 
what I've observed in the last year or so is talking to people around the world, as you know, I've been is just the one common thread and there's lots of different threads, but one massive common thread is the heart for lost people. What, what would you say to that, Chris? How do you develop a heart for lost people? If you've got someone listening and they're like, I just don't, you know, I, I love what you're doing, Chris, but I just, I'm just not feeling it. You know, I, I kind of like, you know, but I want to feel it. You know, what would you say? How do you, how do you help people? How did you develop a heart for lost people that would motivate you to, to, to join in with this journey, this great journey of disciple making? It's a great question. And it's absolutely true that movements, as we're talking about movements, we're talking about movements of multiplication among the lost, to be clear. Because sometimes people say, well, we've got small groups in our church, and this group started a group started, it's all believers. (laughs) So it has made an impact in the lost. The key absolutely is engaging the lost. I mean, I would say, I don't know that anybody natural in their flesh is going to have that heart, because that's a selfless heart selfishly, it's about me, you know, not about those people. And then me having to go to them, I mean, that's kind of a pain. So I would say a heart from the lost 100% comes from God. God gives you a heart for the lost. How does he do that? By you devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. God gives you his heart as you read his word and as you pray and as you get, the heart for the lost is God's heart. So as we get more of God's heart, we have a heart for the lost. Now that could be that could be convicting because it is kind of saying, so if I don't have a heart for the lost, are you saying I don't have God's heart? Maybe. I mean, because because God's heart is for the lost. He, he desires that none perish, but all come to repentance. So Simon, I would say if somebody doesn't have a heart for the lost, it's not as much that they need to draw near to the lost. They need to draw near to God. God gives a heart for the lost. Mm. And as you spend time in his word, you can't help but feel what he feels when you read second Peter three or first Timothy two, you feel God's heart for the lost. And if you love God and you know, in this world, you're on mission with your heavenly father. You're like, well, father, I want to help you with that heart. You, I mean, that's, that's my heart because this is your work. Mm. So I would say when I, Simon and Steve, the times in my life, I didn't have much of a heart for the lost. It's probably because I wasn't spending much time with God. Because I don't even know how it's possible for you to be devoted to the word and devoted to prayer and not have a heart for the lost because God's heart is for the lost. Mm. Yeah, that's great, Chris. Really good. Thank you so much for your time today. Steve, you got any, any last questions from you? Oh, listen, I, I could probably go for another hour with you, Chris, by all accounts, and then only still scratch the surface. And listen, if, if it's possible, you know, I, I'd love for you, you can even maybe point people, Chris, if there's anywhere that people can find out a little bit more. I know you've written a book, for example, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure there'd be opportunities for us to kind of keep clinging and leaning in and, and connecting with you on your journey as well as we kind of keep exploring these things. But go on, do, do tell us how, how we can find out more, Chris. Sure. Yeah, so you can go to our church's website, or, or it's now a network of churches. It's experiencelifenow.com, experiencelifenow.com. We've got a blog regularly update that tells some of our story. We've got a book out, like you said, it's called From Mega Church to Multiplication, and you can get that on Amazon or um, you can, you can uh, get it on Kindle. You can read it, uh, physical copy, digital copy, or if you're like, I like to listen to books. I narrated it so you can, I'll read it to you. Fantastic. <laughs> if you'll buy on Amazon, the audible, I'll just read it to you while you're trying to go to bed, I'll put you to sleep or, you know, whatever. And so uh, anyway, <laughs> you can get a book there. And so those are the best places to find us. Fantastic. Well, listen, from, from, from me, I, thank you so much for your time, Chris. This has been so helpful. I'm sure it's going to be stirring lots of people's conversations in the coming weeks as well. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's a joy. You. Thank you guys. God bless you. Thank you. Fantastic. So good, isn't it, Simon? Don't just love watching yourself on screen for an hour, Steve. I'm trying to listen in to what he said. <laughs> that never gets up. Oh, yeah, so good. I love that interview. I just love Chris. He's an incredibly provoking guy and just so humble with it. Um, yeah, I just, I just love him. I think he's just phenomenal and just so rich. So many things in that session. I think the the whole thing on prayer and starting, starting with prayer, drawing near to God and you'll get a heart for the last. Ah, so good. What stood out to you? Oh, there's simply so, so much in there. I, I, what I liked is the, the simplicity with which he mm. encouraged people, both the kind of new, new believers for sure, but even, even for us, there was this sense of, right, you know, I remember you asking, look, you know, what, what does it take or how can we start to engage with the lost? So his first comment was, you know, get into the scripture. 
actually you know, let the Bible set you on fire mm. and, and, you know, mm. allow it to breathe life into you. I just thought that was beautiful. And then mm. there was that kind of look, gather with friends, pray, and then ask God where to go and then go there. Like it's just mm. something that's like beautifully simplistic about it. But, you know, it, 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 I think it so beautifully connects into um, what it means to partner with your father. You know, we mm. recognize that God is on the move and that it's our privilege, actually, I think, to partner alongside him. And so that for mm. me, I think is just, it, it's very simple and yet it's very profound at the same time. Yeah, so good. And he didn't say it in this conversation, but in another conversation I had with him, he underlined the prayer thing. And he said, the, the thing that he gets everyone to do who wants to start on this journey is find someone else, at least one other per person, and start praying weekly for lost people. He said because yes. it was the people that did that with them in the early days that are now their leaders. They're the most effective disciple makers. So I would just commend anyone who's on this journey with us. And that's what we started doing, Steve, isn't it, with, uh, yeah. uh, with, a, friend, uh, with a couple of friends. And just, just to start a weekly prayer meeting, only has to be 30 minutes, start praying for lost people every week, and it will do something in you. And, yes. and Chris would really underline that. And he, he made that point. Not in that it wasn't quite as clear in that conversation, but in another conversation, that was, it was a very practical, just start praying for the lost every week and something will change within you. And I think that that's a really good um, take home. And I think this whole thing of multiplication, I think he was, um, again, he alluded to it and talked about it a little bit, the whole principle of we've got to stop, you know, the Western church has grown largely by addition and we're just not even keeping up with the population growth. You know, even in our own town, we are not keeping up the population growth. We're, we've, we've got a discipleship crisis. We've got to work out what the principles of multiplication are in our culture because yeah. they've discovered them in some of the Eastern churches that I've just, I've seen. And, and that's great, but we've got to, we've got to go to the scriptures and get the vision for our own thing. We've got to find the principles of multiplication because that's what Jesus told us to be. He wants us to be fourth soil people, those that multiply. Yes. And yes. I think we've, we've tolerated not being that. Um, and we've also not raised others who are multiplying disciples. So, yeah, there's something radical has got to shift in our hearts there, I think. No, there really is. I mean, someone provoked me in something I listened to recently that they said, look, if Jesus appeared to you this evening and sat alongside you on your bed as you go to sleep and uh, said to you, look, listen, I'm going to um, respond and I'm going to uh, do everything that you prayed for this last week. How many people, how many new people would be in the kingdom? I just thought I was so deeply provoking, actually. Mm. Are we giving ourselves to praying for those who are lost? Because actually there's something really biblical about that. And so, you know, we're actually going to have a, a session in the next few weeks um, specifically on what it looks like for us to pray in this sense, so to see disciples make disciples. And so I'll kind of look forward to, to learning some of those things. Let's, let's just draw on a few comments, Simon, before we um, kind of bring things into a close. I just sort of say it's so great to have you guys comment. There's actually dozens now kind of coming in from all over the place. And it's great when people sort of share where they're from as well. And so I, I, even from my brief count here, something like 10 different nations who have, have chipped in this evening. And so it's great mm -hmm. to have you wherever you are in the world right now. And, um, you know, we've got kind of Vicky here who's saying it's such a great session, particularly a great wisdom on multiplication. Vicky, we love you. So good to have you. Kind of Alan saying it's good to be challenged by young Christians. So if we're not a praying church, we need to pray that we'll become one. Very true. Mm -hmm. uh, Katie Joe, brilliant, empowering others, makes it bigger than you. Really good. And um, kind of Ian was picking out the fact that actually we should be comparing ourselves to scripture and coming to the scripture and not just other Christians or churches, all of which I thought was super helpful. I'll give you my favorite comment, which came in from Helen at one point. Right. She said, um, asking lo lost people seems impossible to me. And I understand that, that hesitation. I can't imagine uh, having the confidence to do that. But I was lost. Someone sowed a seed. Uh, someone else reached out and I dipped into it and then others held their uh, held their hand out. And now I'm in the best journey of my life. Not easy, but definitely the best. Isn't that a beautiful comment, Simon? Mm, so good. Yeah, so good. And I think someone else, I can't have lost the comment now, but someone else commented, how do we get more training? And I just uh, would flag up uh, two two things I would encourage you to, to, to dip into if you get a chance. One is that Chris, is, he's done, he does an eight-week training, which I've done, you've done, Stephen, you and others have done. It's really, really good. Very, very provoking. It kind of, it does your head in in one sense and provokes you in another, but very, very good. If you can get onto that, um, it's because it's in the States. I think it's daytime here, so it might not be for everyone. But the other thing that's worth a read is um, a book called Stubborn Perseverance. It's actually a novel uh, by James Nyman, written by two, uh, a, a couple of people who've uh, really walk this out in a in a closed nation and um, some really key principles in there. So if people like, re you know, reading, but perhaps struggle to read, you know, more textbook stuff, then Stubborn Perseverance, it's a novel, it's a story, um, and it really outlines some of the principles of multiplication there, which I think is worth a, worth a read for people if they've not uh, caught hold of that yet. 
Um, yeah, really good. Yeah. Stubborn Perseverance by James Nyman. I'll put yeah, it on the screen really if anyone's writing it down. Yeah. Fantastic. Simon, any closing comments for us as we bring this evening into a close? Yeah, I just think the, the, the other thing I wanted to underline again, which I think is going to be critical for us moving forward, is this thing of our process has been, you know, even where we have connected um, to unbelievers, it's been invite them to an event. And I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's a good yeah. thing. But I think there's a disconnect then so often because so many people won't come to an event. You know, there's a, uh, and I think those that will, that's great. But I think we've got yeah. to have something else for those that won't. And I think this, you know, we'll reach it, we'll step into it in later episodes on this, but this thing of learning to lead discovery Bible studies with unbelievers, to open God's word, to learn how to share God's word as a natural part of our lives, I think is going to be a key. That's one of the massive themes that I've seen as I've been studying what God's doing around the world. And I think we've got to become more comfortable um, in sharing what God's, what, what, how God's word is impacting us. And I, God's yes. word is, is the seed. It's the thing that will multiply. Yes. And the more we can share it, the more it will multiply into the lives of those around us. So I, I feel excited. We're going to unpack that more in some of the upcoming episodes. But um, that was just one thing I, I really drew from what Chris was saying. No, I love that. It's, it's, it's reading and being impacted by the Bible and trusting actually that God's word speaks to people who aren't yet Christians. And it's yeah. powerful for them as well. Yeah. And he, he, he highlighted at one point that sense of, look, just go, you know, make friends with lost people. Don't overcomplicate it and start serving people. I think because that's where the opportunities actually come from to be able to start doing exactly what you're talking about of engaging people with God's word. Guys, listen, it's been an absolute pleasure to be with you all this evening. Uh, there's, there's been a whole stack of people who have been joining us right the way through the, this evening. If you are inspired by some of the things that we're talking about, can I just encourage you to like, to share, to subscribe on YouTube if you're watching it on Catch Up. And you can not just subscribe, but you can click the bell icon as well, which will help you get an alert every time we post something new on the Disciple Livecast. And uh, we're also available now on your favorite podcasting app as well. So uh, you can catch up or you can tune in and you can pass this on to other people. Not for our benefit, guys, but because of the fact that we genuinely are passionate about this message. And we're keen for other people to grow and to learn alongside us as we learn more about making disciples who make disciples. So listen, I think that's all from us, isn't it, Simon? Yeah, brilliant. So good to be with everyone. Thanks for joining us tonight. Fantastic. God bless, folks. See you again soon. We're back again in two weeks' time for the next episode of The Disciple. God bless.